Welcome to The Climate Conversation, uh, the podcast of the Environmental and Energy Study Institute. I'm Dan Brissett, Executive Director of EESI. Uh, thanks for joining us for this latest installment. And I'd like to introduce my intrepid co-host, Sydney O'Shaughnessy. Hey, Sydney, how are you doing today? Good. Hi, Dan. Like he said, I'm Sydney O'Shaughnessy. And today we have another recap of our Congressional Climate Camp Briefing Series. This one is the second one in our series of four. And in this climate camp, we talked about federal policies for high emitting sectors. But before we jump into um, talking about all of our speakers and highlighting what they said, um, I wanna throw it back to Dan so he can talk about why we decided to put on this briefing. Great, thank you. So when we did climate camp number one, if you remember back, we sort of looked at process. And we specifically looked at budget appropriations and stimulus because those three things represent near-term opportunities to advance climate solutions. For this one, it's a lot more substantive. And what we tried to do was sort of simultaneously convey the magnitude and enormity of the challenge by looking economy-wide at climate change. But in really, in order to do that in a way that you can really wrap your mind around. We did it by doing deep dives in the five big sectors where most of our emissions reductions come from. In fact, all of our emissions reductions come from. Agriculture, um, power generation, buildings, industry, and transportation. And so we had five terrific speakers at real experts in emissions reductions and the opportunities and challenges specific to each sector to talk with us about what it looks like from their perspective. And um, many of them spent a lot of their time talking also about policy options. Everyone brought sort of their own different perspective and it was really interesting. Now, why did we do this as climate camp number two? Because we can't do anything to address climate change unless we understand what the picture of the challenge is. And so, Timing-wise, that kind of dictated why we started with budget appropriations and stimulus. But in terms of what comes next, the goal of this climate camp was really to provide a baseline, base level of information for new staff, policymakers, agency officials, stakeholders, concerned citizens, everybody to get on the same page with what, in fact, we're talking about when we say emissions reductions and how that's specific and how that's different sector to sector. But before we jump into really hearing from those experts in all of those sectors, I want to take a quick moment and say that we have a special guest in the studio today. His name is Dan O'Brien. He's an awesome colleague. So welcome, Dan O'Brien. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. Dan just got a new microphone. So we're being treated to his dulcet tones as though we were in person and not recording via Zoom. So Dan O is a senior associate at EESI been with us for a number of years. He's actually been with ESI longer than me, so I think that makes him Dan number one, and I'm Dan number two. Um, you've heard us talk about Dano because he does lots of great stuff for ESI. Um, he works with our interns very closely. He is a bit of a social secretary. He makes sure that we're having fun within the office. Also chiefly responsible for the office composting project, uh, where we, you know, divert compostable waste out of our trash. Um, not the most glorious part of his job, I'm sure, but a really important one and one where we're doing the right thing by the planet. 
Dano is also our chief briefings coordinator. Um, and so together with the rest of the comms team, Dan O is one of the key forces behind bringing our congressional education to the masses. Dan O, you are joining us today because you were absolutely blown away by Friday's congressional climate camp. What about that briefing stuck out to you so much? I really loved this briefing. It highlighted all of the large sectors, as you already said, Dan and Sydney, which are things that we really need to think about when it comes to agriculture. Um, I thought the agriculture section was really important. Um, Deepak, as you'll hear in the future, um, coming up in the next couple of minutes, he talked really um, significantly about uh, electrifying everything and what that means and how much power that takes if we want that to be clean energy. But I think the thing that blew me away the most was Julio talking about industry and how how much energy it, it takes to create heat, um, to, to bend steel and, and to fire up all those large, uh, what do we call those, Dan? <laughs> large. I think you mean furnace. Furnaces. <laughs> it was really cool to hear Julio talk about how much heat it takes to heat those large furnaces and how they use hydrogen and how we need to get hydrogen in low carbon ways. Uh, so that was really, it's, it's a really incredible briefing um, and it shows how much work we have to do, but how there are solutions for all of these very large problems today and how we can start working on these uh, solutions now. And Dan, no, I don't think you were the only one who was blown away by this, right? This was a very popular briefing. How many, how many people RSVP'd? Sydney, that's a great question. We're actually getting close to over a thousand RSVPs for our climate camp series. Uh, thank you, Dano. Thanks for joining us today. And um, thanks for um, all the good work you do behind the scenes. We'll have to have you back. Um, and, uh, and of course, when Sid and I talk about how great these briefings are, we have to, we're the hosts. So an almost independent opinion to anyone who's thinking about maybe watching it. Uh, Dan O says you should, so you should. We had five speakers. First up was Dr. Christina Tonito, ecosystem scientist uh, at the Department of Global Development at Cornell University's College of Agriculture and Life Sciences. And in this clip, Christina is going to talk about greenhouse gas mitigation possible in the agriculture sector. So uh, in summary, uh, to reduce net greenhouse gas emissions, we need to focus on reducing fossil fuel use across all sectors discussed today. Um, regenerative practices um, have a main benefit of improving the soil resource and improving water quality with greenhouse gas mitigation as a co-benefit. Um, if we're assessing greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture, uh, we have to account for leakage and permanence issues. Um, nitrous oxide and methane are the main uh, greenhouse gases emitted in the agricultural sector. Um, and uh, it's less risky if we focus on the uh, permanent benefits uh, from practice such as nitrous oxide emissions. Um, if we are gonna transition to carbon rich landscapes, farmers will need support to improve their practice. Um, this might occur if we have a, sh a dramatic shift in crop demand. Um, and we'll need to have um, support for accounting for ecosystem benefits in either a regulatory or market approach. Up next is Dr. Deepak Divan, 
professor and director of the Center for Distributed Energy at the Georgia Institute of Technology. And in this clip, Deepak is going to talk about the opportunities for reducing emissions in the power generation sector. So what is the opportunity that we have out here? Well, you know, we have the chance to uh, take a very big part of emissions, okay, which in this case of uh, electricity generation today is 26.9%, you know, but we also have transportation, which is 55% and then buildings and industry. So there's a, a chance that if we can uh, decarbonize generation, we can have a really big impact on uh, pretty much uh, everything. Um, so if you look at, uh, you know, what are the opportunities for zero carbon generation? Okay, there's hydro is already there. Uh, there's nuclear energy, uh, ex existing nuclear fleet. Uh, we have wind and solar that have made a tremendous uh, progress over the last, uh, you know, 30 uh, years or so. Uh, and there are many few, uh, future technologies, too, that are coming out, which include, uh, you know, hydrogen and then, uh, you know, some of the clean fuels that, uh, you know, are zero carbon uh, in terms of impact. And then some small modular reactors that are coming out that, uh, you know, in the next 10 years or so that could, could have a significant uh, uh, impact. So if you look at, uh, you know, the, uh, the whole area of is there enough of this uh, resource available? Uh, the answer is, I think there is, uh, you know, even if you you know, have a, a hundred mile by hundred mile PV plant located in the middle of Arizona, you would have enough energy generated to meet all of U.S. annual uh, needs. Our third speaker is Liz Beardsley, Senior Policy Counsel at the U.S. Green Building Council. And in this clip, Liz is going to talk not just about building sector emissions, but how to integrate buildings into the electric grid as a way to reduce emissions. So first of all, buildings are significant. Uh, as, as part of the overall picture of U.S. emissions. Um, the, I was interested to see in the invitation for the event today, 12% was called out as buildings contribution. And that's actually the direct combustion piece of how buildings contribute. So um, when you're burning, if you have fuel oil or um, a gas connection at your building, that's what's being counted in that 12%. But if you include the emissions associated with your electricity use, that goes right up to 38% um, total. So clearly, if we are going to make a dent in our emissions, we have to address buildings. And I do want to, you know, the good segue um, from, the, from the prior presentation is absolutely, we, um, we need to have, sorry about that. Um, we need to integrate buildings as part of the grid more and more. So whether it's to make space for beneficial electrification of buildings or to allow for EVs, um, the, the base load that we're currently, that, that the amount of energy that buildings are using really has to come down. But the good news is it can. So we'll get to that towards the end. Um, the drivers of this contribution are the age of buildings, you know, whether they were built to a code or have had efficiency retrofits, and sort of the overall size of the building portfolio in the country. And another key point is that buildings have a greenhouse gas impact beyond energy. Although energy is the, the clearest and, and the most obvious, we focus on that. But if you think about it, when waste is created, when you're building a building or replacing uh, equipment over its life, you're using water to serve the building, um, you're using materials to build the building. All of these things also have an impact, uh, which we'll get into. And, and with that, both the construction phase and the operations phase matters when you're looking at the life cycle impact of a building. Our fourth speaker, Dr. Julio Friedman, Senior Research Scholar, Center on Global Energy Policy 
at the Columbia University School of International and Public Affairs. In this clip, Julio is gonna break down greenhouse gas emissions from the different sectors and talk about how hard it is to get emissions reductions from industry. Basically, industrial emissions are almost a quarter of global emissions, 22%. Just heat, just the heat from heavy industry is 10% of global emissions. And to give you a sense of scale, that is more than all the cars and all the planes together. Just industrial heat. And most people don't wake up in the morning thinking about industrial heat. That's why I do that service for you and happy to talk about all the ways in which we can manage the emissions from heavy industry. A uh, little bit of framing here. First of all, the core arithmetic of net zero is clarifying. Net zero means net zero anything. Uh, all of the embodied carbon that Liz was talking about in her buildings, it all comes from industrial production. You have to zero that out or else you're not doing your job. Uh, if you emit anywhere, you have to unemit an equal amount someplace else. Uh, and it's gonna require all sectors and all approaches. Um, industry is also a little different in that buildings are made and used locally. Electricity is made and used locally. Cars are run locally. Industry is trade exposed. It is making commodities that are used all over the world and compete on a global market. And the options that we have to decarbonize them are relatively small, unlike the power sector where we have lots of options for decarbonizing. In the industrial sector, we have only a couple of options. And all of the options are expensive compared to a lot of the other things we would do. So it's born hard. It's just the nature of the beast, but it is every bit as important as power. It is twice the size of transportation. It is three times or four times the size of buildings. It's just a big thing to do. And if we get this right in the United States, then actually we have an export technology that we can bring to other countries. We have a opportunity for trade, which is virtuous and good. And last up, our fifth speaker is John Pakari, John's managing partner at 3P Enterprises, and he was formerly uh, Deputy Secretary of Transportation in the Obama administration. And in this clip, John's going to talk about tackling climate change by changing the way we move around in the transportation sector. The bottom line is you cannot respond to the existential challenge of climate change without completely changing the way that the transportation system is conceived, designed, and operated. And that's really the premise behind Build Back Better. And uh, we'll talk about that uh, uh, in a little bit of uh, detail, but uh, the, the policy uh, structure behind the transportation component of Build Back Better really focuses the U.S. in a, in a fundamentally different direction. In the past, if you think about transportation, uh, uh, is it's a means to an end more than an end in itself. It's typically been used for economic development, sometimes for quality of life, sometimes not. Um, but but there are two fundamentally different lenses that transportation projects are viewed uh, through Build Back Better, equity and climate change. Um, and and I wanted to uh, walk through those a little bit uh, in turn, starting with equity. Um, if you think about what we've done in the past, uh, the past 60 or 70 years, uh, uh, post-war uh, in particular, the interstate system with the viaducts that we've built, uh, the elevated highways we've built through cities, redlining, segregating, um, and uh, um, crippling neighborhoods within cities. We've divided communities. Um, we have built transit service uh, around particular needs as opposed to a system-wide approach. Um, 
an equity lens on transportation leads you to very different decision making than you have today. And it's important as a, as a conceptual backdrop to this to think about how federalism applies to transportation. There's this common misconception uh, that it's a Washington driven process, that uh, policy happens in Washington, it trickles down. Um, the reality since colonial times is that project decisions are made at the local level and innovation is at the local level and it bubbles up. Uh, and if, if you don't accept that premise of how transportation project selection is made, you're never going to change uh, uh, how it actually works. Ooh, that was a lot of information about climate change. And if you liked that, well, then you need to go back and listen to the full briefing. Um, you can watch it segment by segment. You can watch it all at once. You can read the written summaries. Um, Dan O, let's go back to you. Now that we've heard the highlights from our five speakers, do you have any final thoughts for our audience? How can you convince them to listen to the full briefing? I have actually been telling my friends and family about this briefing already. And I just tell them that this is a really good starting point to learn about what are the things that we need to change in our country and how can we do that? That's enough for me, Dano. Thank you very much for joining us today and being our special guest. Thanks for having me. Right on. All right, Sydney, over to you to take us out. And if you weren't convinced already to learn more about this briefing or listen in a little bit closer to any one of our speakers, please head to eesi.org slash briefings to listen to the whole thing. And if you want to learn more about ESI's work, head to our website at eesi.org. Also, be sure to follow us on social media at ESI online for all of our recent updates. Remember, the Climate Conversation is published as a supplement to our bi-weekly newsletter, Climate Change Solutions. Go to esi.org slash sign up to subscribe. And I want to say thank you so very much for joining us. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll see you next time.